Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have the little bastard, a.k.a. John Mellencamp. At the time of this interview in 1991, Mellencamp was 40 years old and out on a radio tour promoting his ninth album, Whenever We Wanted. In the interview, John talks about his creative process with the new record, how he's given up on trying to save the world, what it was like directing his first and probably his last movie, and he gives us his observations on a friend who's a big fan of Ronald Reagan's. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared them to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And God God, I'll have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line. The true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Mark's John Mellon. Hi, how you doing? I'm squeaking by. Yeah, where are you? Dallas. Oh, okay. Are you uh, just uh, doing like an interview tour now, or is that it? No, it's we're, we're playing live on the radio. Acoustically, me and uh, Kenny. Kenny's playing some bongos and some shakers and stuff, and uh, and Mike Wanchek's playing guitar, and I'm playing guitar. Acoustic guitars. Oh, cool. Are you going to do that here? Yep. When? Uh, Thursday, I think. Uh, on Q95, I take it. Uh-huh. All right. Anyway, let me ask you some questions about the album. You said in the New York Times, in the past you tried to sing about overlooked Americans on Lonesome Jubilee, you tried to speak for them. On the new album, it seems to me that you seem to be trying to shake them out of their malaise. Is that, a, is that an accurate uh, assessment? Well, uh, I'm not, no, not really. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just, I'm still just trying to look around to see who the hell I am, probably. Asking myself the same questions that, you know, maybe somebody else might relate to. I'm not really trying to get anybody to do anything. I've kind of given up that cause. Why is that? Well, it just seems to get worse. <laughs> I mean, it's not getting any better. I mean, look how long we've been dicking around with the farm problem, and it's worse now than it's ever been. Yeah, yeah I agree, but I thought some of the songs were uh, were pointed uh, well, they in are. that direction. They are. You know, uh, uh, sometimes writers, songwriters strive to what they want to be and not what they are. What I think is only what I think. Doesn't make it real. Doesn't make it the truth. Just makes it what I think. And what I think and what I hope sometimes gets mixed up. I've kind of given up on trying to save the world. Mm -hmm. Does that sadden you? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of times I've 
you know, jumped up on a little soapbox for a moment and said, you guys better be careful of corporate America. It's going to do this, it's going to do that. And now, uh, you know, every town in America looks exactly the same. You know, Milwaukee's lost its identity, just like Bloomington's lost its identity. I mean, you drive into town, it's the same strip of malls and the same names above the strip of malls. And, you know, they stole rock and roll from us, and that's pretty much the way it is, sports fans. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. I always think about it. I used to live in uh, Springfield, Illinois, and I had to go to Fort Wayne one time, and I thought, if you dropped me in the middle of here and didn't tell me where I was, I'd think I was still in Springfield. Yeah, you would, how would you how would you identify? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I mean, but it used to not be that way. Every town had its own own little signature, had its own little, man, we got the best fucking hamburgers in the world right down the street here. You know, well, now you can't say that. Well, we got the same goddamn thing where I come from. You know, but you had a little mom-and-pop store that survived and, you know, helped the town. And, you know, they, quite frankly, these these big conglomerations, they don't give a shit about your town. They only care about themselves. Yeah, you got no argument from me on that. I think that's, ex- that's exactly right. I, I just, I wonder why you see that and I see that and so much of America doesn't see that. Well, I think that they see it, too, you know. I just think that they just feel helpless, and uh, quite honestly, they have phone bills to pay. You know, I don't even know who said it. Keep the masses worried with small things and conquer the world. Keep us busy with nothing, and then we can get on with business. You know, but that's the, that, that, that's the biggest fear for me, is that everybody talks about how great it would be if we have a global community. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, we have a global community, guys like me and you just are not going to count. Talk about being pawns in a game. We will be less than pawns. It won't even matter. Well, it just seems to be harder and harder to do things. You know, I mean, I talked to some musicians who say, you know, Graham Nash, I asked him if he thought that uh, we could still change the world, and he said very definitely, but I, I don't see it. You know, I don't, I don't think we can do it. Well, those guys, you know, sometimes they say those things because they feel like that's what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, they lie. Or they're wrong. Anyway, um, let's talk about the sound of the album a bit. Did you want to get back to this uh, raw edge guitar sound? Or oh, yeah, you... this record, we uh, we pretty much knew what we wanted to do before we went in. We put, put the uh, violins and, and stuff back in their cases for the time being and pretty much turned the drums down. We got rid of the atypical drum sound that most records have today and came up with a different drum sound for Kenny and then we turned the guitars up pretty loud. Now, how did the uh, change of guitarists affect things? Well, actually, uh, you know, I mean, I love Larry to death, but for the better because uh, I don't really think, you know, when we started discussing this record, Larry really wasn't in the mindset to do it. And uh, Dave is a, you know, a guy that's been on the fringe of this band for years, and uh, he loves to play loud. Is it uh, strange for you to be on stage with a different guitarist? Yeah, it's a little strange. I've always, you know, Larry and I uh, have been on stage together for years and years and years. But, you know, Dave's a real good guitar player. but, you know, Larry knew a lot of nuances, the things that I needed on stage that he provided that Dave just doesn't do. But, you know, I'm a big boy. I can uh, find other ways of getting through it. But, yeah, it is weird. Uh, a couple other things on this, and then I'd like to go through the songs and talk about them individually. Um, you Actually, this is the first time you've reclaimed your name, right? I mean, yeah. uh, completely. Mm-hmm. Are you glad about that? Well, it just seems like something long overdue. You know, it was silly to start with, and after 15 years, it just got downright stupid. 
Are, are you finding that uh, people are accepting of that and understanding it, uh, or are you finding that people are still referring to you as uh, John Cougar Mellencamp? Oh, I, see, I don't really care what they... It doesn't bother me what they can call me anything they want. Mm -hmm. I probably do. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's just for me. You know, it's not for anybody else. Mm -hmm. I don't care if the DJ calls me Johnny Cougar or John Mellencamp or whatever you want. See, it's just for me. It's just a personal thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really have much to do with the general public. Matter of fact, I would imagine it's confusing to them. <laughs> anyway, uh, how about your thoughts about uh, turning 40? I don't mind. At least I don't think I do. You know, sometimes guys get these weird things in their head and they do mind. You know, but I don't really mind. I, I, I wouldn't be 18 again if you paid me cash money. Really? No, hell no, I don't want to be 18 again. God damn. Is there another age you'd rather be? No, I like being age man. You know, a few years ago, I mean, one thing I know is that the older, the older you get, the less you know. But when I was like 30, hell, I knew everything. You couldn't tell me nothing. Then I really thought I was like different, and then I find out, you know, hell, I ain't no different than anybody else. Just the same old guy, you know, some other guy with brown hair and blue eyes trying to make a living. On the songs, let's see. Uh, well, we'll start out. We'll go from the, the beginning. Uh, love and happiness. Most likely, the the people you refer to in the last verse, who sell arms and run dope, are not the people that uh, your music reaches. Are, are you hoping that the people that you do reach will rise up against the, those people and everything else that's going wrong? Well, I think that's an awfully lo awful lofty ambition for a rock song. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I could, through a song, can make anybody do much anything. The way this world is with corporate America, if, if, and I'm not really pointing towards corporate America, that's their fault, but it just seems like that there's a whole different world out there that you and I don't know about. And this world is run by men that we never hear of. They're very private, they're very secretive. And, you know, presidents and, uh, dictators are just names, you know, that we all hear. Something to identify the leader with, you know, George Bush. I don't know what the fuck he knows. I don't know that he's really making any decisions about anything, uh, particularly about a, the global economy, which is basically what I'm talking about there. I mean, that's who matters in this world, arms dealers. They're the guys making the big deals. They're the guys making decisions that affect all of us. And obviously, the same goes for anybody that is, is dealing in that type of money. They're important people. When you got that kind of money, you're important. If you're working stiff making $30,000 a year, I'm not really sure how much they care what you think. And I'm not sure that the working stiff's making $30,000 a year uh, know enough about them or want to know enough about them. Well, they're not privy to the information. I'm, see, I think that if, if they did know, they would probably, uh, or if they, if we, if any of us fucking knew, uh, we would probably be a little bit more. Well, now, wait a minute. That's not what I thought the deal was. But some people are just hard-headed, too, you know. I've got a friend who is a Republican, and, man, he still thinks that Ronald Reagan was the greatest president we ever had, and he's unemployed. Uh, no, wait a minute, man. You're my age, and you're unemployed, and you can't draw unemployment, and uh, who do you think made these laws? And what, what does he say to that? Well, he did this, and he did that. He don't hear that. You know, they just don't hear that part. <laughs> you know, man, here's what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, you'd think that those would be the people who'd be the most bitter. Well, yeah. I mean, if it was me, I'd be pissed off. Yeah. I mean, you know, for all per practical purposes, if I was a, uh, a good businessman, I would have really liked the 80s for that reason, that reason only, because, you know, I make enough money that it really helped me out. But I just fuck that. But it's interesting, because you're doing well, and you're pissed off. This guy's unemployed, and he's, he's all right. I mean, he doesn't care. 
No, it's it's kind of funny. You know, I mean, I think it's weird. Uh, the 80s were not a time of rebellion. We had a grandfather for president, and we all wanted to uh, behave accordingly or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, also on that song, the uh, that shrill trumpet, which is just a great sound. Was there a... Well, you know, as far as that goes, it was like, let's give them, you know, give them something that they don't expect. We love doing that. I've, I've always kind of liked the fact that that was part of what people liked about us. Well, I wonder what his record's going to sound like this time. At least that's the way the record company looks at it. Who knows what Mellencamp's record's going to be like, because they never hear it until I'm done with it. So, you know, you're sitting there, and you think, oh, yeah, this is in. All of a sudden, that trumpet comes in. It's like, ah, oh, damn, I've never heard that before. So I think that's great. It's predictable, that, but it's not. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't think it's predictable at all, but it's not It's, it's not unwelcome. Or, and it's certainly, uh, I mean, it may be a surprise in the scheme of things, but, you know, it's it's not a bizarre surprise. Or... Yeah, I think sometimes you can get that way, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know guys that have made records that, you know, they really made some nice records, and all of a sudden they want to do something different. Like, you know, I was a big Todd Rundgren fan for a long time, and all of a sudden it's like, what is the fuck is this? <laughs> I don't get this part. You know, you can't get so far out there that nobody gets it but you. Yeah. All right. Um, now more than ever, among the many things that you're uh, talking about in there, I was wondering if this was a bit of a plea for some more intelligent political songwriting. Well, not so much even that. That's kind of kind of it. But it's it's just like uh, you know when people divide uh, anything, like uh, the way rock and roll is divided now. You know, on one hand, you've got this, the, you've got groups that are saying, I mean, some heavy metal groups are like, you know, talking about very over-the-top weird things. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got some artists that are writing, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, you know. <laughs> and it's like they're so far apart. Where rock and roll, you know, was really the one thing that put, held everybody together, that everybody related to one thing or another. Now music is so fragmented so I don't know but it just seems that that the less you say the better chance you have of getting accepted anymore you know mm -hmm. it's like people who make you think you know there's just just seems to be the a huge audience of people that don't want to think about anything well we're, we're kind of programming people to be that way uh, you know when I was a kid you'd watch a movie and you'd have to listen and get involved in the movie movies just aren't that way anymore you know it's like Terminator 2. All you have to do is just kind of pay attention and watch. Oh my God, you know, the good guys and the bad guys are very well identified for us. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like those spaghetti, those old spaghetti cowboy movies. One guy's got a white hat on, one guy's got a black hat on. Okay, I got it. And I, I can understand that. Melodically, does that uh, song uh, sound, uh, now more than ever sound a bit to you like Pink Houses? You know, that's been said to me. And if it does, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. It doesn't bother me. I mean, the fact that that song was written, Pink House was written in 83. So, I mean, how many records have you heard by guys that made many records would be that every fucking song sounds the same? <laughs> <laughs> so if I have one that kind of sounds that way, then that's all right with me. I mean, considering, you know, I've written hundreds of songs since, and all these records really ultimately finally come from me and how I, how I feel, and it's the same band, so I don't think every now and again it's not so bad to hit on something that might be familiar. Okay. I ain't ever satisfied, and my question is why? Well, I think that the, for me the creation is, uh, is, is the, uh, the fun part. The product of the creation never was that important to me. It's like when I paint. I don't care if the paintings even turn out. 
doesn't matter to me what the paintings look like. But I had fun painting, and it took me someplace, and maybe I learned something by the process of painting or writing songs or oh, what the hell ever I'm doing, directing a movie, whatever it is. You know, I'm learning something for it. And if the fucking movie turns out great, if it doesn't, well, that's okay, too. I at least had the opportunity and the experience of doing it. I did it. I like the fact that I have written. Uh, how about the lyric in that song? Uh, I've got seven of everything and more in the till. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be funny. Okay. <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. It's kind of like, you know, it doesn't matter how much you get. Do you remember in Key Largo? You know that movie? Mm-hmm. And he's standing there and he's going, and, and Humphrey Bogart's going to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Edward G. Robinson. He's going, well, when will you get enough fat, man? I don't know. You can never get enough, can you? Well, I guess not. When will you be finished? Well, maybe never. That's right. You'll never be happy, will you? I guess I won't. You know, it's a great scene. Yeah. But that's, uh, the, way, that's the way people are. And that's it, the way I am. I wondered if, uh, if when you're saying that, you know, two songs after saying, you know, for your young couple today, forget buying a house, if that's like, I mean, I, I realize that you meant this as a joke or, or as, uh, to be funny, but I wonder if it, it will be interpreted as kind of thumbing your nose at people. No, I wouldn't think so. I think if you think that, I think you're thinking too much. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're really thinking really tying stuff together that, you know, really never was intended to be tied together. No, I don't think that, uh, and quite honestly, I don't feel that I should, uh, should, should feel that way anyway. If I was a guy who made a lot of money and told everybody to go to hell and didn't try to give anything back to anybody, then I would say there would be a case to be made. But I don't think anybody could ever say that about me. Yeah, John Mellencamp, he took the money and ran. <laughs> nah, fuck you, man. I never did that, and you know it. So uh, uh, I don't... See, I know... I did that, you, you making that observation is really the first time it's even ever dawned on me. Okay, a couple other specific ones. Were you addressing a specific they when you wrote the song? They being the they against us. <laughs> you know yeah, it's your choice, man. Government, bosses, you know. I never wanted to be anybody's boss. So, I mean, I hate the fact that I even am. But uh, that's not what I chose to be. It's like what we were talking about earlier. There's a certain hoop that you've got to jump through. And if you don't want to jump through that, then to hell with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we all, we all have to jump through the hoop to the piper that we dealt, that we work for. And that's basically what that song's I, I think people forget that even you have to do that because you've got a record company to deal with and oh, the public to deal with. And stuff. Oh, hey, let me tell you something. Everybody has got bosses. I'd like to meet the last guy, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd like to see who that last guy is. Nah, man, I'm the boss of everybody. I'd just like to see what the fuck he looks like, see what kind of man he is. It'd be kind of interesting. Probably scare you to fucking death. I think it's the guy who owns Walmart, actually. <laughs> he could be right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go through the rest of the songs uh, and tell me anything about them that you want to tell me, anything that, uh, whatever inspired them or anything else you want to address. Uh, get a leg up. Get a leg up is, is about, it really uh, is closely knitted with uh, the name of the record whenever we want it. You know, it's like, you know, what we think and what is. Just because I think it doesn't make it right, or it doesn't even necessarily make it what is. It just means that's what I think. You know what I'm saying? And what I think is worthless, except to you, except for one person that means anything to me. And we're all that way. You think this, I think that. That's what makes the world go around. And in the song, <coughs> we make light of that. By here's a guy who spent all his money on a girl, and she says, and he thinks, well, forget it, man, I might as well just go home. 
And then, what is, you know, much to his surprise, he's going to be Lucky Pierre. <laughs> That's how wrong he was. And we've all been that way. Not necessarily that in that type of situation, but you walk into a room and you, you know, you look at the situation. You go, yeah, I know what's going on here, but guess what? You don't. And that happens to me all the fucking time. Oh yeah, I got this figured out. I thought I had that figured out about life about ten years ago. Oh yeah, I got this all worked out. Now, sorry, man, you're wrong again. Okay, crazy ones. Well, you know, I've known a couple girls in my life. Yeah. And that's just the way it works out for me. And that's just a song about a girl I met. Okay. Uh, last chance? That's kind of reporting on uh, a person's physical and mental condition at a point in the day. Just very simple song about a little bit, maybe like quiet desperation. That's not really as desperate as the as the singer may think it is. That's an interesting break in the album there because, you know, you've gone through a really pretty upbeat uh, first side, I guess, or first five songs, and then you go into that, and that's a little bit more um, uh, musically upbeat. I mean, not necessarily what you're singing about, but... Uh, you mean just the, the music itself? Yeah. Well, we kind of planned it that way. Uh, it's but the, the, You can't just... I didn't feel like we could just, like, slam it at him, you know, the entire record. And I think Last Chance is a, is a real pretty song. It's a rock ballad. <laughs> <laughs> It's our rock ballad. You know, we want to we want to be contemporary, man. That's the right as we do a rock ballad. Uh, okay. Would we be doing any poison covers on you? Uh, well, you know, I've been looking. I just haven't really found anything that, that suited me yet. You know, but I got my eyes and ears open. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to say no before I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. How about melting pot? Melting pot, I think, is uh, is an interesting thing. Uh, when I wrote the song, I kind of liked it. Then I kind of went off of it, and then we recorded it, and I really didn't like it. But then other people got me to like it. It's weird the way that song worked. Uh, you know, when we were making the record, you know, we'd play songs, and everybody'd go, man, I love that fucking song, Melting Pot. You do? Because <laughs> I was, you know, I was on the fence about it. But uh, uh, it's kind of like, uh, sometimes these songs sound like a man who, sit quiet, who has sat quietly for a while, and then all of a sudden just says, hey, this is what's on my mind. You, want, you asked me. You asked for it. You taught me how to read. Now you're going to pay for it. And let's see where else. Are, what else do we have here? Uh, the title song. That's pretty much about decision-making and excesses and uh, maybe uh, even approaching what Big Daddy kind of talked about. There was a line on the song, Big Daddy, that said, when you live for yourself, it's hard on everyone. And this song is maybe akin to that a little bit. Yeah, that's a very true line. Um, and uh, the last song again tonight. Well, if there's a pop song on the record, I think that's it. I like the last line, you know, uh, he says, well, I'm probably just making a fool of myself again tonight. I think that's, uh, and besides, it's kind of a light song to end the record with, you know. Uh, so uh, I wrote that song in South Carolina. The funny, some songs you remember where you wrote them, sometimes you don't even know. Did I write that? <laughs> when did I write that? Why do you remember that? I don't know. It's <laughs> fucking weird. I have no idea. You know, so I'm like a lightning rod. I mean, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but when you're a young writer and, and uh, you know, these songs are just out there for anybody to grab. I mean, you can grab them, I can grab them. They're just whoever, if you want to, you know, they're just out there. And when you're a young songwriter, it's like grabbing apples off a tree. You, you grab the ones that aren't so right, and you try to make them work for you. Because I've really grabbed some shit songs in my life and tried to make them work for me. But the older you get and the more songs you write, you grab one that's still green, you just throw it back. And you don't really work with it. Does this, this sound weird to you? No, I, I think it's making sense. <laughs> uh, can you imagine that? Uh, 
But, uh, you know, I've been writing songs for a long time. And, and if I start writing a song that's not working out for me now, I just abandon it. Where I would used to like, oh, this is a good idea, i got to finish this, and kind of force shit to happen that maybe shouldn't happen. But on this record, I never did that. If a song was happening, then, then uh, I would finish it. If it wasn't, I just I would abandon it. Okay, well, that was a good idea, but it just didn't work out. What's the plans for a tour? We start uh, January 4th in Savannah, Georgia. There's some discussion here. I've heard a lot of rumors about uh, five days at Market Square Arena. Is this correct? Oh, I don't know about how many days there are, but we're definitely going to play there. It just depends on how many people want to see us, I guess. Yeah. Is it before uh, before you go out on the tour? No, no. It's during the tour. It's during the tour. Okay, so this won't happen until next year. Though. Right. You know, I mean, there were, you know, people were saying, well, why don't you just play the Dome? And it's like, nah. Me another film, you can bet somebody paid me a lot of money. To do it. <laughs> <laughs> because 
I'm not soliciting work as a director or as an actor, because quite frankly, I could care less. If I never make another movie, I don't really care. But I'm not saying I won't, but at this point in my life, it's like, hey, I already did that. Let's do something else. Anything else you want to tell people about what you're up to? Well, just painting away and uh, trying to get, you know, guitars back on the radio. Last week, the Get a Leg Up was the most added record in the country at CHR, which for the climate of, of CH Top 40 Radio, that's pretty good. Because mostly if you listen to those type of stations, they don't have guitars on those radio stations anymore. It's a big point of contention. Well, there's guitars on that, that, uh, that song, isn't there? Well, yeah, I mean, we are in the rock and roll business. So, let's, you know, so uh, it was a real accomplishment for all of us to, when we found out that it was the most added record last year. Because, I mean, last week. Because that's like, hey, maybe things are turning around. So you can you imagine being John Mellencamp right now, 19, trying to get a record deal? And trying to get on the radio if you play guitar. I think you'd probably take that guitar and throw it away and get a sampler. Yeah, he wouldn't, uh, right, exactly. You wouldn't be doing the same thing. Yeah, so, you know, it'd be great if, like, in a few in a short, short amount of time a guy like James James Murtry could get on the on the radio yeah but again he's somebody who's singing about something so you can't uh, can't put that on the radio oh yeah uh, I forgot about that yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how long is this uh, little radio tour you're doing going uh, we're doing 30 cities wow so this See, the reason I'm doing this is because a lot of my contemporaries uh, are like doing beer commercials and stuff now right and I just can't get on TV and and do that. So I thought, well, if I'm going to like try to promote this record, I've got to do it the old-fashioned way, and that's do it the way Loretta Lynn did it. There's a radio tower, man. Let's go talk to that DJ, see if they'll play our record. And approach from a real grassroots type of thing. And I haven't gone to radio stations since 1981, so here it is, 1991, 10 years later. And you know what? It's kind of fun. Anybody turn you down? Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hate that part. I just did a I did an interview with a guy in Boston who uh, who just kind of said to me, well, you know, how come you know you rock guys aren't on the radio anymore? And I felt like saying, because you pricks on the radio ain't playing it. <laughs> but I didn't. But the guy was very arrogant about it. I mean, he, if I had to say that there was one interview that I've done that that was just like I wish I hadn't done it was this guy. But you know, to hell with him. Before I let you go, I just want to tell you, it's really, uh, it's kind of interesting that you and I are talking. I met you in 1978, I think it was, or 79, you were playing uh, in Boston at a uh, little club, and you were, Mike Ledgerwood was doing your publicity or something mm -hmm. like that, and the uh, club was Passim, and I thought, well, this is this is interesting, and we sat and talked for a while and uh, stuff, and I thought, well, this is a nice guy, I'm probably never going to hear of him again, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm getting ready to make another movie uh, about, uh, I have a record coming out in about 18 months, two years from now, uh, and it's going to be like an anthology record, and it's called Nothing Like We Planned. The very first review that was ever written about me in Rolling Stone, the byline to the thing was, what a divine find this will be in 1984. So we're going to interview the guy that wrote that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's what we're going to try to do with this film is is make fun of John Mellencamp and, you know, like the name, and nothing like we planned. Uh, nothing ever worked out like we thought it would. But it worked out okay. Yeah, it worked out real well. You know, with no plan, it worked out better than our plan. <laughs> but we're going to tell the truth on ourselves. We're going to tell the truth on the music business. We, you know, we've got uh, footage of me, you know, 16, 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, going to radio stations, live performances in bars, 
and we're going to put all that stuff together and put it out as a movie and uh, see what happens. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, give the audience, you know, people who like and have supported me for years, give them something that they never thought they'd get. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I want to ask you is, you think there's a, a hope that uh, you and I will get ever get uh, that I will ever get a chance to sit down and talk with you uh, a longer, more uh, in-depth interview in person? Sure. Okay. I don't know why not. I live in Indiana. Yeah, I know, but I've been, I've been asking for this since uh, February, and I've been getting uh, turned down and blown off pretty much, so I figured uh, I'd ask you personally and see if... Well, I'll tell you what, you know, when uh, there'll be a downtime, in, while we're rehearsing for mm -hmm. the... Uh, I'll be in Indiana from December 15th until New Year, so let's do it in there sometime. Okay. All righty. So and just go through I'll Harry. I'll tell them, and you tell them, and then we'll do it. All right. Come down to rehearsal or something. That'd be great. How would that be? That'd be terrific. You know where Bloomington is at, don't you? Uh, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, you go down the road and turn left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed. <laughs>